go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Thursday, everybody, and good morning, NFC East. Jeff Kerr here, and it's a Toad Thursday, people, so please hit that like button. Please subscribe to Jacob Sports. We got my man, my quarterback, Tone DeShields with me today. How you feeling, Tone? I'm doing good, my man. It's, uh, it's Thursday, Thirsty Thursday. <laughs> well, we, well, well, we used to use that back in college, right? Thirsty Thursday. Hey, but... it's still Thirsty Thursday. <laughs> oh, man, but I'm feeling good, my man. I'm glad to be a part of the show, you know, every Monday and Thursday. Make sure you guys keep it locked on Good Morning NFC East with Jeff Kerr. This show is growing, you guys, and we appreciate you guys for always supporting the content. Just keep smashing that like button. Keep supporting Jeff Kerr. Keep supporting Jacob Sports and more to come. Yeah, exactly, Tone. And I guess we're going to get started here. We were just talking backstage about the Giants-Titans game on Sunday, right? And you said pretty much the Titans blew it. And yeah. I, I can't disagree with you on that. Absolutely, yeah. I was I was re-watching it. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say it was the cleanest game by the Titans by any stretch of imagination. Um, but they were in control most of that game. And then there just came a point where they just fell off a cliff. They allowed the Cowboys to drive down the field. They couldn't stop the run. And what I'm noticing, right, a theme, not just with the Titans, but throughout the NFL, you know, with the Eagles as well, teams are struggling to stop the run in week one. And could that speak to the lack of physicality, lack of physicality or the lack of tackling reps in, in you know, in, during the offseason, during training camp? I don't know. You tell me, Jeff. I mean, that's what I was going to ask you. Why do you think that is? I mean, to me, it's – and, again, it, it's a double-edged sword here, right, Tone? Because, Absolutely. Because we can say they don't practice hard enough, but it's not like the Eagles are the only team that does this. The Giants are the only team that does this. It's If you're not Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, or Pete Carroll, it feels like the entire league does this. Or Dan Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan Campbell is – he's someone <laughs> – you know what – we need another hour show to talk about Dan Campbell on here. But, I, I mean, I got to say this, Tone. It's, it just feels like week one is an extended version of the preseason for a lot of teams. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's the only cause for optimism that I have, especially for the Philadelphia Eagles, because week one, you know, we saw them struggling to stop the run. You know, and we thought – we thought that first play by Kazir White, you know, the tackle on the flat. And I'll give, I'll give the Eagles credit. They do a great job covering the flat in the passing game. But, you know, when it came to tackling, defending the run, they were very porous. Defensive line couldn't break through, couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get off their blocks. Um, it was it, it just made it difficult for the linebackers. And it was just poor tackling overall. You can make an argument that if the Eagles don't miss those 14, 14 or 16 missed tackles, uh, the score is looking very different. And this can't happen against – the Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Cook will fry you. If you think DeAndre Swift did what he did, 
putting up 150 yards plus. Dalvin Cook will put up 200 yards on you if you allow him to. So, yeah, man. I, as a matter of fact, let's let's stay there. What's your thoughts on this Vikings matchup right now? Well, it's funny, Tom, because I didn't really get to watch much of the Packers-Vikings game. I was all – I, I watched it, actually. I, I rewatched yeah, yeah. that game, too. I was in that's, a, that's the dope thing about NFL Plus, right? You get to rewatch all these games on your own time. Yeah, NFL Plus is great. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, just from early looks, I, I felt the Packers were just off. But it wasn't like it was week one off last year. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they had Devonta Adams. It's Aaron Rodgers always has slow starts this season, but – it just felt different. Like, I, I'm not sold on Romeo, on Romeo Dobbs. Um, you know, Christian Watson, I don't know. I mean, the guy gets open, but does Aaron Rodgers trust him? I know Aaron Rodgers didn't have Alan Lazard. It, it, to me, it, it just feels like I, I need to see more out of the Vikings. I, I think Monday is more of a prove-it game for the Vikings than it is for the Eagles. Well, Aaron Rodgers tried to exercise that trust in Christian Watson on the first play of the game. He had him deep, wide open. When I say wide open, he was able to knit a sweater. He was able to make some tea, bake a cake, tuck the beds in, um, tuck, tuck, tuck the kids in for um, the bed. He was able to do a lot, and he just flat out dropped it. And I think that is a microcosm for how that game went in totality. It just, it just didn't start well. And yeah. Aaron Rodgers has to build this trust with these, essentially with this new wide receiver group. So that's going to be interesting to watch, but – Minnesota, I'm watching that game, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, they're really not doing anything too dominant, if you ask me. Their offensive line can be beat, and even their defense, they play a similar defense to the Eagles, so it shouldn't be hard for the Eagles to game plan against it. But, again, if they allow Dalvin Cook to average four yards a carry, just four, then at that point, Justin Jefferson is going to have a field day. And I'm going to, it's, I'm curious to see how they – balance who guards Justin Jefferson when and where and how so to me it's and again this is all about the missed tackles the Eagles had the highest missed tackle rate in week one they had the second most missed tackles in the league and you know you were talking about the Vikings offensive line and this is what and I'm gonna segue in here to Giants Panthers for a second this is why I think the Giants might have a shot to beat Carolina because Carolina doesn't have a good offensive line and I think that's what hurt Baker Mayfield, at least early in the game on Sunday. Because when you're playing Cleveland, you got Miles Garrett, you got Jadavian Clowney, you got those guys coming at you. I we didn't get to see Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Uziari last week. But they could play this week. And this was kind of shocking to me. The Giants actually had a pretty good pressure rate. I'm not, not saying it was top half or anything like that, but for what they had to deal with and their, their secondary being as banged up as it is, they did a pretty good job against Tennessee. I think they were. I think overall they ranked like 18 for 19, but I'm curious to see how that's going to fare against Car- a Carolina team at home that Carolina's lost eight in a row. I mean, it's very possible we could see the Giants go 2-0. It, it is possible, you know, but I do also believe that Tennessee Titans' offensive line isn't the greatest either. Uh, I saw I saw Derrick Henry kind of fighting for his life a little bit just to get three yards. And, again, week one, I'm trying not to overreact to any game, you know, because teams have to establish trends. And you don't really get a trend chart on a team until about maybe week three, week four. You know what I mean? So 
I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to look at it as, okay, the Giants probably are going to tighten some things up. We'll see. But I still saw a piss poor Daniel Jones. I'll be honest. He didn't look, he, he didn't wow me in any way. So I'm not worried about him. But as far as the Eagles go, I, I'm, I'm going to look at it as, okay, it was week one. You were shocked by the environment. You know, the uh, the Lions overall shocked you. I actually think they underestimated that team, no matter what they say. I honestly believe they underestimated that team. They underestimated that environment. And they admitted to the environment part. But I just think they underestimated the opponent. And they didn't think they would come out with that much grit and firepower. And I think it changes this week. I think, I think, I hope, as a matter of fact, the coaches saw what they saw on tape. And they... You know, put these guys to the grinder. I saw in a post game, uh, like you know how the Eagles always do the team speech videos on YouTube and stuff like that. And you see them coming into the locker room and then they, you know, talk about the game briefly. It's like a minute. The videos are about a minute long. Nick Sirianni says something very key to me, and we're going to see if it translates. But he said, "You guys, we're going to have a lot of tough conversations this week, and it starts with the coaches." So. We'll see. We'll see whatever that means or however that materializes. You know what? You know what's your thoughts on that? So, I'll just say this: I, I agree with you. I, I do think they underestimated the line. And I'll tell you what: I think they took the mentality of the fans this week. I I kept trying to tell people, and I I said this to you last week: lines are better than a lot of people think. I didn't want to hear they were three thirteen and one. That, that's the estimate. They're a good football team. They had a good offense, and that offense ended up scoring the second most points in the league. Last week, only the Chiefs scored more than that. So, and this is what I want to bring in too, because they got Washington this week. And I think Washington, they're going to bring the heat. They were number one in the league in pressure rate last week. And this is without Chase Young. They have Montez Sweat. They got John for now. I'm curious to see how Detroit responds to a Washington team that, let's be honest, Carson Wentz was good on Sunday, but. I still can't get over the whole four for 11 thing over five yards. And how's Detroit going to react to that? Are they going to be better in pass coverage? Are they going to let Terry McLaurin just pull an AJ Brown on them and have his, I, I, I'm really curious to see how this game pans out too. This is why I like week two. Cause I feel like we're going to get more of a, of an overall feeling of how your team's going to be. Like, I, I think I know how the Eagles are. I, I I'm pretty sure the Eagles are, are good, but how, how's Washington going to be? How are the Giants going to be? And I got to be honest, we could have three teams 2-0 in the NFC East next week. Or two, but one of them may not be the Eagles because of the quality of opponent they're playing. Yeah, you know, just how we call it overreaction Monday. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually for week two be overcorrection Tuesday. You know, so I think that's what's going to happen. That's the, you know, the theme of week one is overreactions. The theme of the, the, the theme of week two is overcorrections. I think you're going to see a lot of teams um, overreact to what they saw on their teams, and you're going to see overcorrections. And, for example, um, Devontae Smith not getting any catches. You're going to see Devontae Smith getting a lot of targets this week. And um, not to say they're not going to target A.J. Brown or Dallas Goddard, but you're going to see a concerted effort to spread that ball around uh, this week against the Vikings. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not a fantasy football genius by any means, even though I do have 13 teams. I'm not going to lie here, but I had Devonta Smith in seven of them. He didn't make a catch. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I actually think he's going to – I agree. I, I think they're going to make a more conscientious effort to target Devonta Smith. And the only reason I think that is because they keep preaching it. Shane Steichen, we got to get him the ball. Nick Sirianni, we got to get him the ball. 
I mean, that's not fool's gold. It's to me, this is where I think Eagles fans overreacted to the whole Devonta Smith no catch thing. I don't think they realize that it's Minnesota is the same fat dealing. I mean, he had a couple catches Sunday, but they targeted Justin Jefferson. Rams targeted Cooper Cup. The Bills targeted Stephon Diggs. The Chiefs are different, but I mean, the Dolphins target Tyree Kill. You target your number one guy. A.J. Brown's that. And when you're getting as open as he is against Jeff Okuda and guys like that, you got to take advantage of it. And let's face it, the Vikings secondary, Patrick Peterson is not Patrick Peterson from five years ago. It just isn't. Yeah, you know, when you say that, it makes me think about what John McMullen always says. He says games always have a theme or, or an identity. Games, you know, games take on an identity. And I believe that Lions-Eagles matchup, the way the way everything got baked in, you saw this team leaning on Jalen Hurts' legs to make things happen, and you saw them leaning on their best playmaker. So I think I think it was a combination of that's just the way things played out. And also, I think that the Eagles are just going to change the way they did that. I don't expect them to just force feed A.J. Brown every game, but again, when you have a guy, a number one guy like A.J. Brown, and the game he and the, the way he played on on Sunday, how, how can you not feed that guy? Especially if they got him, especially especially if they got him a single coverage. You know they're not doubling them. It's it's kind of hard not to throw him the ball, but I think it's going to be m- much more lethal for this team if they get everyone involved. This team can become significantly more dangerous to the opponent if everyone is a danger to breaking this game wide open. Devontae Smith is a guy who's very talented. Not really, not really a short yardage catch guy. He's a guy that he's he's a guy that's going to average. 14 to 15, 16 yards per catch. He's that kind of guy. He's that kind of chain mover. You know what I mean? And things just didn't start off well for Devontae Smith. He had a drop, but then his his first catch of the game got called back because of a penalty. And, you know, um, it, it, it just it just didn't seem like Devontae Smith's day. And it never felt like he – and I don't want to say it was his fault, but, you know, games just take on a complexion. And I just don't think things shook out the way it shook out for him. I would like them to get Dallas Goddard much more involved. He showed that he was, he was wide open all game. But I just think that, you know, Hurts didn't really have a time to diagnose. Um, I believe for the most part, A.J. Brown was his, his design first read. And a lot of people got to understand that he's only calling he's, – he's only running the plays that the coaches call. And he's going through his progressions based off of the play. So if, so on a given play, if his progressions are A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, he's going to go through that. And if he has no time to diagnose, which he didn't, he's going to hit A.J. Brown. Or he's going to find Dallas Goddard before he finds Devontae Smith. So I think fans have to keep that in mind as well. Jalen Hurts is only running the plays the way they were designed to be run. And, you know, these days it's, you know, high, low, and then your hot route, you know, your, you know, your, you know, your outlet route. It's not really that complex. It's not really that complex anymore. Guys aren't really, not too many guys at the very least aren't really going through their X, their Z, their Y, they're running, but they're not going through all their reads. You know, they, they, they've simplified the game to a point where these guys just look, look, go high, look low, no, nothing there, hit your bell out. Or if you got legs, get out of there. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And that's basically what the Ravens do with Lamar Jackson, right? It's you go deep or you look for your Z low. I mean, for some reason now teams keep the Z lower than they've ever done. And which is weird because I'm used to Z going on fly routes, going, going on deep outs, but overall tone, I got to ask you this, just because we saw the Lions last week, and 
it, it's easy for me to preview Commanders Lions because I watch both games deeply: Eagles Lions and Commanders Jaguars. If the Lions play like they did last week, do they beat the Commanders? I'm actually rooting for the Lions because there's some there's you know there's something about what they got brewing over there that's pretty interesting and pretty fascinating. I like their talent, and I believe I believe they can catch. I believe they can catch Washington. I think I actually think they're pretty evenly matched. Um, the, the Lions show that they're capable of putting up points. You know, that's just that's just a reality. Um, but here's here's something that's interesting that one of our one of our guys in the chat, Jordan Neff, shout out to him. He says, Eagles haven't won week two since 2016. Yeah. Yep. That is fascinating. I never thought about that. We you know what's your thoughts on that? Say that again. They haven't had two or no starts in 16. Because remember, they, in 17, they lost their Chiefs week two. Right. That's, that's that's correct. That's correct. Even in the Super Bowl run, you're right. That was that. was that. And I don't know. We're going to see how this thing pans out. It's really going to be fascinating. But we have our guy, Kevin, in the background. We're going to bring him up very soon after the break. You want to take us to the break, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could have done this yourself. I mean, <laughs> 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 in a boilered um, – Former uh, former coworker of mine at CBS. He he's doing a different sport now, but he is still plugged in on the NFL. Still, he worked for Fox, worked for CBS. Huge Giants fan, but a very rational NFC East fan. I will say that. Have <laughs> a boiler coming up right after the break. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey. We've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. If you've been injured at work, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. 
Go confidently. Go birds! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go Bird! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go Birds. guy i know that can cover the cross better than anybody kevin boiler but i'll tell you what buddy uh i did not know you are working for heavy.com now uh, tell us more about that dude i'm all over the place jeff first of all thanks for having me on but yeah i covered the giants for heavy since april now uh check me out over there if you're a giants fan um yeah i do a little bit of everything lacrosse football let's keep it going i was telling tone uh backstage before the show when you picked the Giants go twelve and four, and they lost their what their fifth game, I think it was the Daniel Jones trip. Was it was that the game? No, that was twenty eighteen. So that was the year before Daniel Jones. That was uh, the last full year of Eli, I think. So yeah, it wasn't my best prediction ever. Uh, but I will say, I remember I nailed each of the three other NFC East teams that year. You I think did I was do within that. one yeah. game on each of the other three. Yeah, you did nail that. I remember when you said the Eagles were going like nine and seven or something like that. I'm like, hey, you know what? I can actually believe it. But at the time, I think you and I were, were saying, yeah, Nick Foles is going to play probably half the year. And that, that was a weird development that entire season. Yeah, yeah. And uh, don't worry. You let me know every turn, every step of the season that uh, the Giants were not finishing 12 and four. I, I think it was every week on the NFL show, which, by the way, I, I do miss. Uh, you know, we still have to deal with Stevie T a little bit sometimes here at CBS, but – I, I got to get started here with the whole Giants being 1-0, them playing the Panthers this week. I actually do think they have a shot going 2-0 right now. Well, I know the only reason you think that is because you're as big a Sa Saquon fan as I am. Um, but, yeah, man, he looks like a completely different player this year. Uh, 164 yards on the ground in week one. He leads the entire NFL. He was kind of talking his talk all off season, saying he was ready to go crazy and kill. And it was kind of creating some buzz. And I don't know, as a Giants fan, the last two years, you just didn't see it. You had the ACL injury last year, just wasn't really effective. So you wanted to see it on the field. I also wonder if the contract situation has something to do with it. He's in the final year of uh, his rookie deal playing out his fifth year option. So he's looking to get paid too. Well, that's the other thing. And he's looking to get paid, but also I think his head coach is doing him and his offense coordinator. They're doing him a lot of favors. They're actually getting him the ball in space. And I don't know what Joe Judge was trying to run last year, but it didn't help Saquon Barkley that when he played. And it didn't really help anybody on this offense. It just feels like now they're trying to get guys like Saquon Barkley, Kadarius Toney in space, using them to their strengths. Yeah, I actually think that Saquon is the Giants wide receiver one as well, uh, on top of him being the bell cow running back. He led the team with six receptions, and you saw on Daniel Jones's biggest mistake of the game, that interception into the end zone, that was him just trusting his best player on the field in a one-on-one -on -one situation to know to do the back shoulder. Didn't look like they were on the exact same page there, but I really can't Daniel Jones for that. When you look at 
how the play unfolded and you look at the way that Saquon Barkley played in that game, you're telling me you wouldn't trust Saquon Barkley, your best offensive player in a one-on-one situation. Now, unfortunate they weren't on the same page, but decision-making wise, uh, I think that they're the whole scheme is get the ball to Saquon Barkley as much as possible. And at week one, that's just the way it went. My biggest thing with the giants right now, and maybe this is me just reading between the tea leaves with Brian Dable and Joe Shen to an extent. Did the Giants basically make their decision on Daniel Jones already? I do think that they may have made their decision to an extent. Um, you know, turning down the fifth-year option in May was definitely uh, not a great sign. But also, financially, it makes sense unless Daniel Jones is like a top-five quarterback next year and he ends up in like a Kirk Cousins situation where he can just kind of stack franchise tags on each other and keep getting paid. I don't know if it's going to actually go that way, but uh, after week one, you saw they aren't running the offense through Daniel Jones. He was efficient, but he only attempted 21 passes. He was sacked five times. They wanted him to just make all the throws. They're not asking him to throw 50-50 balls to Kenny Galladay. They're not obviously uh, doing a bunch of gadget type stuff with Kadarius Tony. They're keeping it real simple. They're saying, give the ball to Saquon Barkley over and over and over again. And if Richie James gets open, uh, throw it to him, I guess. Maybe Sterling Shepard on the backside for a deep ball, but don't really take many risks, which is kind of the opposite of what we heard all offseason. Oh, they're going to open things up for Daniel Jones. They're going to let him take risks. Brian Dayball, very quarterback friendly. He's going to turn Daniel Jones into the next Josh Allen. Uh, I don't really think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see more of a game manager, Daniel Jones, and Saquon Barkley going beast mode. Yeah, I, I do feel like it's Daniel Jones playing for another team right now. He's auditioning to stick in the league. I agree, and actually a quarterback who I thought he could remind me of as I was watching week one was Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, a first-round draft pick who didn't work out with his first team, was kind of chronically frustrating, and then – winds up on another roster for you know almost nothing i think he was traded for like a seventh round pick and the titans have been great since they've gotten ryan Tannehill. and the biggest difference is it's just a better built team and they have that formula where he can turn around and hand the ball off to derrick henry 25 times a game and works out nice for ryan Tannehill. so maybe we're seeing that audition for daniel jones to be that type of ryan Tannehill game manager for whoever he plays for next i One hope thing- it's a, he's a good quarterback yeah one thing I liked about the Giants on Sunday, the interior of the offensive line wasn't good, but you got to give a ton of credit to Andrew Thomas, who is playing like a top 10 tackle right now. And Evan Neal had a pretty solid debut. The tackles are fine, but I still think the middle of the offensive line, especially at center and left guard, is an absolute mess right now. I agree. Uh, John Feliciano was supposed to be, you know, a little bit of a solidifying uh person that they got in there at center. Um, I think it's been a little bit of work in progress. He's missed some time during training camp. And I think that that kind of maybe slowed down the kind of coagulation of that unit unit Uh, left guard is probably the biggest issue. And they still don't know who they're going with heading into week two. Uh, It's between Ben Bredesen and the third round rookie, Joshua Azudu. And uh, um, look, he gave up that bad sack, but he's going up against Jeffrey Simmons. So, you know, uh, it's going to happen sometimes. And, Honestly, he did well enough in run blocking. So I think uh, the line, it's been, hey, I can't complain. As a Giants fan, this looks like the best offensive line they've had in, I don't know, 10 years. So, uh, you know, if they've got just a functioning left and right tackle, uh, I'm happy. 
you were one of the people, and I, I'll say one of the people that really early on who was a detractor of Carson Wentz, and you got slammed for it. This is back in 2018, let me remind you, and now he's in Washington. What are your thoughts on him just being with his third team in three years and playing with the best receiving core he's arguably ever had? I think that that says everything that he's on his third team in three years. Um, if you're a quarterback who's worth anything in this league, you have locker rooms that rally around you and support you and have your back when things go wrong. Look at that. If you looked at the whole season besides week 18, where he had the player go home, winner go home game against the worst team in the league and the Jaguars and he lost. If you just didn't look at that last game and looked at his body of work and said, this guy will be playing in a different uniform in a different stadium next year you'd be like what why what happened what could possibly happen in that final game but the fact that he did so well and then had that dud of a game in the final game of the season and the Colts didn't want him back that tells me everything I need to know I don't know Carson Wentz personally but you don't bounce around locker rooms with the type of talent that he has unless people just don't have your back and I don't know what leads that to happening but um Carson Wentz, I think he's always going to be, uh, you know, you're going to love him when he makes a big throw, and then he's going to break your heart at the end, and he also has an injury history that will leave you out to dry a lot. Yeah, and this is where I get really confused with the commanders because I liked what I saw on Sunday, but it is week one, and I think I, I'm giving more credit right now after rewatching the game to the receivers that went because naked eye, I was like, oh, that's a really nice ball by Carson Wentz, and they were. But then you rewatch the game and you're tracking stats. He was four for 11 on passes over five yards. That is not sustainable in this league. No, I've always thought he was a little bit wild on some of those throws. Um, I haven't gone back and watched a lot of what he did. I saw his final stat line and I saw Chris Trapasso did some breakdowns of uh, his throws. He's been doing a good job on TikTok with that. So I saw he did make some really mind-blowing throws and then he made some duds of throws and looks like the same Carson Wentz we've seen on the last – three teams that he's been on or whatever. So um, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of people looked at Washington and thought, okay, they finally upgraded at the quarterback position. They've had the defense. Um, you know, they've kind of been an overachieving team, um, you know, by some standards, they won the division a couple of years ago. So uh, I think that they feel like they solved the problem, but, I don't know. Sometimes when you get a quarterback in there who does more, maybe does too much like Carson Wentz does, you actually take a step back, even though you end up adding talent at the position. So I don't know. I, I actually think the Broncos are in the same exact situation. Like, the, oh, they just need a quarterback, just need a quarterback. Well, then you go and get Russell Wilson. I know this is an NFC East show, but, uh, you know, I think that sometimes it could work backwards. Yeah, and the one thing I noticed about Washington, and when I was checking the stats, I, I was amazed by this. They were number one in pressure rate. And on Sunday, and this is without Chase Young. So the defensive line is still really good. But every time I keep thinking of this team, I'm like, they don't have anybody, a linebacker. Outside of their top two corners, they don't have anything. Can this defense sustain with no depth right? Uh, I, I think the defense will be fine. I think that, you know, they're kind of a defensive-minded team with Ron Rivera. But I also think that, like, Washington just doesn't really scare me as someone who's watching the giants and covering the giants. Um, one, the giants have always had Washington's number. Um, and then two, this team just feels like it's just kind of always been like just put together. And especially now with 
uh, you know, the commander's name and everything. It just feels like where did this team come from? All these people from these different corners. They've had these nice pieces on defense, I guess, for a while. But it just feels like a patchwork team to me. It doesn't feel like a team that was really built truly like the way you have Nick Sirianni paired with uh, Jalen Hurts or you have now Brian Dayball with the Saquon Daniel Jones thing like it just feels like a team that kind of spawned and is in the NFL and in the NFC East like I just don't really see their trajectory speaking of the and I'll just leave it into the Cowboys right now do you feel they took this division for granted like the Eagles weren't yes. going to get better the, the Giants weren't going to get better even the Commanders and you know, and you know what? They shouldn't have because the Eagles were a good team last year. Eagles were a playoff team, and I always thought heading into the season that it was probably going to be a two-team race between the Cowboys and the Eagles. A lot of people thought that too, but then there was a lot of people that just thought, "Oh yeah, it's just the Cowboys' division to win and uh, or or to lose." And I always thought that that was kind of a little assuming one because the head coach is Mike McCarthy and he's paid his fair share of blunders. And I also think Dak Prescott is overrated. Ezekiel Elliott's not getting any younger. Um, a lot of the pieces, I mean, the offensive line isn't what it used to be um, with Tyron Smith down your best player down. Um, you know, I just don't think that. The, and then Jason Peters, something <laughs> like NFC East, like folding in on itself. It's like, what is going on? That feels so weird. But um now, I think that the Dallas Cowboys were a little probably, um, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, and my issue with Dallas is Jerry Jones always talks a big game, like they're a Super Bowl team. I didn't think they were a Super Bowl team last year. I didn't think they could beat any team that matched with them physically. It was it was a very frustrating 12-5 and team if you were a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing. The, the, the Cowboys last year were – they had – if you look at a team on paper on, you know, all the talent that they had all over the field and all the names, you'd, you would think that they were better than what you saw when you actually watched them on Sundays. And I think it just goes to like a lot of their players being overrated. I think that Dak Prescott is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the Ooh. NFL. I think that like there was a ton of hype around uh, Trevon Diggs last year and, you know, he got burned just as much as he picked off passes and returned them for touchdowns and stuff. So it's not like he's not a good player. I do think Micah Parsons is legit, but uh, there's a lot of that comes with the territory when you play for the Cowboys. If you're moderately good, if you're pro bowl level good, the, the, the media and fans are going to hype them like they're the best at their position. They should be all pro. And that's not usually the case. So why do you think Dak's overrated? I think Dak is overrated because, well, he hasn't won as much as he should. When you look at the talent around him, he's had one of the best offensive lines, you know, the Cowboys do draft. Well, something they do well and players want to play for them in free agency. So they've paid him. They've gotten them all the players around them. The wins haven't come through. And then when you watch them, I think that like, yeah, he has all the physical tools, but look at the game in the playoffs last year, for example, where, you know, the time's running out and he decides to run like ultimately that's on Dak and the time runs out. Like I just think a better quarterback knows how to handle that and is more prepared in that situation. I just can't really think of a lot of heroic times where Dak Prescott, you know, put the team on his back and let a fourth quarter comeback. Like I think he's an efficient quarterback when he can play for, with a lead, 
like the way they did in 2016, 2018, when they were really kind of running teams over with their ground game, um, you know, and playing sturdy enough defense. Uh, but when it's like picking up a team and leading a game winning drive, like, I don't know if Dak's going to make those throws. I really can't say I've seen it. One of the issues I've had, and not exactly with Dak Prescott, but I always felt, especially in his early years, not now, but Ezekiel Elliott really carried that offense. But you and I both saw Zeke's games going downhill. The Cowboys paid him. Now Dak has to rely on his arm, and he's done a good job of that, but it feels like the offense gets too one-dimensional. Right, and again, I feel like it's a Russell Wilson thing. Like, the let Russ cook, let Dak cook, let Carson cook. When you pay a quarterback all of a sudden there's this pressure to be like well let's see what he can do let's put the ball in his hand let's just watch him work and have the other 10 guys watch him um you know i don't know if that's a winning formula for really anybody other than maybe josh allen and patrick mahomes maybe justin herbert although even the chargers haven't really won any games with him so they haven't been in the playoffs yet with him at least so i think that Overall, I think when you start paying a quarterback and you start hyping up a quarterback that's Dax level, you expect them to take over and win games. And you're right about Ezekiel Elliott. He used to carry the team. I would say more so the whole running game used to carry the team. I don't know if they can do that anymore because the offensive line isn't as good as it used to be. Um, Zeke is definitely taking a step back, but he's still a good running back. He's very good in pass protection. Um, but Overall, I think that the Cowboys are kind of maybe their maybe their window has passed. Maybe the last year was the last year of their their championship window, and and now we're seeing you know it start to kind of move. The Eagles are kind of coming into form, and you know the Giants. You see Jerry Jones draft well, right? Like I, I have no doubt Jerry Jones can fix this in the draft, but that cap management. I never thought I would ever say the Giants managed the cap better than the Cowboys. And keep in mind, Dave Gettleman was the GM, but Joe Shen has done a really, really good job of trying to fix Dave Gettleman's mistakes. He has. There's been some really painful situations, namely James Bradbury. Did not want to see James Bradbury go. And Eagles fans found out very quickly um, what kind of impact he can make. But that was 100% a cap casualty as a result of Dave Gettleman. So he's been making a lot of the unpopular, um, difficult, you know, moves to save some money against the cap. And uh, I think it's hurting them in some areas. Like, I don't think the Giants defensive backfield is really where it should be. Same with the linebackers. Um, that could be a problem later in the year. Um, but it wasn't against the Titans. Thank goodness. But uh, overall, they're really set up really well for 2023 and 2024 in terms of overall cap space. So I think that that's when you'll really see right now, they're working with a lot of Dave Gettleman's leftovers. The two biggest ones being Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Um, next year will be the first year. I think where you'll see this team kind of has the Joe Shane, Brian Dayball full identity because they'll have all the tools that they need to really build the team. What did you think from this all season? And, I thought just getting rid of Gettleman and Judge and all that was th their biggest moves. But when they hired the guys they hired, I'm like, okay, I, I feel like now the Giants are a forward-thinking organization for the first time in a long time. Well, let me just say one thing first. I like Dayball and Shane. I'm all in on them. I, I'm very happy that they're with the Giants. I also think that the way that they departed 
with both Gettleman and Judge was not traditional. If you remember, Joe Judge actually survived Black Monday, and then there was a ton of backlash on Twitter, and then Twitter kind of fired Joe Judge the next day, in my opinion. And I believe in the scientific method, and anyone who's ever known the scientific method, you know you aren't supposed to change multiple variables uh, or else you don't really know what or who the problem was. So if you if the GM is that bad, Dave Gettleman, what coach could do well with that GM? So did Joe Judge deserve to be fired? I always thought that that, um, that third down sneak in the Washington game late yeah. in the year was a little bit like kind of – it looked really bad on red zone. But if you were watching uh, the Giants game from start to finish, it was still 7-3 to three at that time before the half. The Giants are down four. Jake Fromm is the quarterback. You tell me the play you're calling in that situation situation uh that's going to get you a first down and third and long because there wasn't one in the playbook so whatever that's my diatribe on that i think that um they're headed in a new direction you're right they are a forward thinking uh franchise now with these two guys i think that it's definitely a different culture and hopefully it's a winning one my issue with judge and i know a lot of giants fans defended him but i just kept saying he's a very arrogant dude for someone who isn't smart at football and you know, the proof is in the pudding, and I, I, I get it. Like, Jake Fromm was your quarterback. You had nothing. But it, it just felt like the Giants were a laughing stock, and he was even making a bigger laughing stock because he tried pulling to the media, well, I know more than you do. Well, that's fine. You might, but look what you're doing in New England now. You're killing Mac Jones. Does this, just, does this have anything to do with what he said about the Eagles when they were tanking at the end of 2020? Yeah, I'm not bringing this up. Didn't you think the Eagles did a smart job, though, by not going after that game? <laughs> I mean, it depends on what your goal is. Yeah, I mean, it ended up helping them the ensuing offseason for sure. Um, to me, I'm, dude, I'm the type of person, I don't care if the Giants go 2-15, and 15, but the two wins are against the Eagles. Great season. Awesome season yeah. for me. Like, those are my Super Bowls, basically. So, I don't know. I guess as a Giants fan who has had nothing for the past 10 years and uh, Eagles fan, cool, you just had a Super Bowl in 2017. Uh, so, no, it's like, no, you line up and you play the game against – you play as hard as you can because that matters to me and it matters to the fans. So, uh, I do agree and I understand the mathematics of the loss and how it set them up in the draft and everything. But um, – I, I was on, I was team Joe Judge all the way. I was like rooting him in on so hard when he was ripping you, into. You remember what I tweeted that day? That that went viral. What was it, dude? Your team is six and ten. Like <laughs> I'm complaining, and I just remember like Giants. Like I think it was Dan Dan retweeted it, and like it just went off. It, it was our, our buddy Dan Schneider. He he's like, dude, someone finally said it, and I, I just remember that that entire day. And then yeah, Giants fans just go after me, and I'm like. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad. It's, your team wasn't good. It's not like you guys were were eight and eight or nine and seven, and the Eagles did it. It was that was a, the worst year I think I've ever seen the NFC East. It was. It was bad. Um, yeah, it was just one uh, totally weird year football wise in general. But it was a very weird year in the NFC East. You're right. That was the year Washington wins the division, and they they kind of felt like they backed into it. Um, they did, but it was. Uh, it was a really weird year and I'm glad there's a little bit more potential in the division now. Like it feels like last year. Okay. They sent two teams to the playoffs. They weren't the laughing stock of the league anymore. Now you got the giants just knocked off the number one, uh, the, 
team that was the number one seed in the AFC last year. So I like when the NFC East isn't the laughing stock. 2020 was really weird because everyone was making memes and jokes about how bad the NFC East was. Yeah. Someone said to me yesterday, oh, the NFC East. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I do division power rankings for CBS every week. They are by far, they're in the middle of the pack. Like, the AFC South should be the meme because they had two teams that played each other and they still couldn't win a game. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I agree. And I've always thought that even when, even that year in 2020, where, yeah, all the records stink, but I've always thought that NFC East football is the best brand of professional football. Maybe NFC North is up there. I know, like lately, AFC West, everyone's been real into that, but. I've always felt like the games matter more. They're the best rivalries. Um, you know, you got some of the most history between those teams, fan bases, love the location of all of them, except for Dallas up in the Northeast. Like, you know, some of these divisions don't even have much geographical ties to them to create the rivalries that the NFC East has. Like there's only 90 miles of t turnpike between Philly and New York. You know, that's a real rivalry, which, you know, you see that all the time in college, um, but you don't see it in, in the NFL. And I think that that's a really unique, rare thing that makes the NFC East special. And, you know, I, I always say this, too. Eagles fans will probably say they're blue in the face. Well, the Cowboys are our biggest rival. To me, it's the Giants. It, it always was the Giants. Like, I, I thought the Eagles-Giants rivalry really hit when they had all those successful years under Andy Reid. All those championships. And then you have a Giants team that goes 10-6 and six and just wins the whole thing and beats an undefeated Patriots team. Then they win it again, and I'm like, what do the Eagles have to do to get a Super Bowl? This team isn't even any good, and they're winning championships. I know, yeah. That was probably, uh, you know, late 90s, into the early 2000s. I mean, the entire 2000s were just great. That was primetime, probably, Eagles-Giants rivalry. Um I will say a lot of old heads, same exact thing. They say, oh, it's the Cowboys, it's the Cowboys. I think that those people remember the 80s and early 90s a little better. Um, I was born in 1991, so I can't really speak for what things were like in the 70s or the 80s. Uh, I've obviously read about it, watched a lot of NFL films about it, but I can't speak to the emotion of those rivalry games back then. I just know that growing up, especially for me, grew up in the Philadelphia area. I'm from New York, but grew up in South Jersey, so it was – never a question who my biggest rival was it was i was the giants fan at school where everyone else is wearing their eagles jerseys and this is when they're going back to back to back nfc championships i'm not sleeping the night before because i'm worried oh my gosh what if the what if, if the eagles go to the super bowl in the next two weeks potentially the next whole off season is gonna be a nightmare for me at school so yeah i'm glad that they didn't get one in that early 2000s run well I, I like how you mentioned this because when I really got into football, the Eagles couldn't beat the Giants to save their life. They, they couldn't yeah. beat Jim Cottle. Uh, I still remember the game very well where Andy Reid's Eagles are playing their butts off. And th this is 99. So this is their first year. They're still feeling themselves out as a team. And Doug Peterson throws that pass in overtime. Strahan bats it, picks it off, takes it into the end zone at the bat, and is just celebrating. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't stand this team. Uh, you know, and, and – I, look, I loved Michael Strahan. I actually loved a lot of players on that Giants team, but I'm like, it's never going to end. It, it, it's never, and then it took literally Donovan McNabb, like a miracle throw to James Thrash on Monday Night Football to just kind of end it. And really, it, it's weird how this series has went because I feel like the Giants have only beaten the Eagles like six or seven times since then. 
Yeah, hardly ever. It never happens anymore. But I'll say, though, Jeff, isn't it funny? You mentioned how the Eagles have that run, that momentum. You're like, okay, they're on the doorstep. They're on the doorstep. And then the Giants come out of nowhere and win a Super Bowl and then do another one. The Eagles did the same thing pretty much in 2017 in a sense that I remember after Andy Reid, everyone jumps on the chip play bandwagon. Oh, this guy's the future. It's not just the future of the Eagles. It's the future of the NFL. This dude's changing everything. And so obviously it was toxic to a degree and they he's out i thought at that point boom this franchise is set back five years you know they got to rebuild they got to start all over now because chip kelly led them so far in the wrong direction what do they do first year or second year where they had um uh doug peterson win a super bowl you know yeah. so it just shows how quickly things can change I still remember how optimistic I was going into 2017. I remember I went on your show and I said, they're going to win 10 games. And you were like, they only won seven last year. I'm like, but I, I thought that year they were going to win three or four. I didn't think it was yeah, going to happen at all. And they overachieved. I'm like, so what's going to happen now with that they have some talent? And we saw, and as you remember, the one guy I could, I viled was Nelson Aguilar. And he had a hell of a year for them. Yeah. Yeah, he did. That was, uh... and you know, Carson Wentz was just on it. He was on it for that year until he got hurt. And then Nick Foles did his Nick Foles thing. So, and honestly, dude, defense, like if you put together a good defense, you give your team a chance. Like when you have a good defense, you realize your quarterback has to do less. You know, you're in less shootouts. You're, you're taking less risks late in the game uh, because your defense has kept it close through the whole game. You don't have to mount this crazy comeback. It just doesn't ever seem like a sustainable formula. Um, so I think that, you know, Carson Wentz back then with the Eagles and uh, and Nick Foles, they had a little bit of an advantageous situation. Um, I think that that just comes with having a good defense. Uh, finally, before I let you go, predict the NFC East standings after week two. After week two. Okay. I think that the Cowboys are going to be 0-2. Um, I think that the Giants will be 2-0. Uh I'm gonna say the Eagles will be two and zero, and the and Washington will, will be one and one. Yeah, so you got Washington losing to Detroit then. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Detroit almost came back and beat the Eagles. So yeah, I, they did score thirty five points. They, they, you know, there's only one team that scored more points than Detroit last week, and that was Kansas City offensively. <laughs> yeah, and the Eagles. Yeah. yeah, well, the Eagles got seven on defense, but oh, yeah, oh okay. I'm talking offensive points. But yes, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> Kevin, I gotta get you on again, man. Uh, no one knows the NFC East like you do. This is an NFC East show. Maybe we got to get you on once a week here, my friend. Hey, bro, that's what I was fully expecting, dude. Let's do this. All, all right, man. Yeah, we'll we'll pick a date. I, I always get uh, all our friends from CBS. Like, I get Sully on. I get Jordan on. Diardo. I got to get Kevin Boiler on the show. All right. That, hey, man, I hope so, dude. Yep. Read Kevin's stuff on heavy.com. Um, he, right now he's in his PLL lax phase, but <laughs> – yeah, heavy.com, heavy on Giants. Works with my friend Matt Labaro, works with my friend Max Samara. Uh, it's always a good time, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys, and we're going to put a bow on the show right after this. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits go for the stakes and the stakes go to get your parlay on 
go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey. We've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. If you've been injured at work, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Uh, Kevin Boiler is always a good guest, and yeah, I'm gonna have to get him on uh, a lot more often. No one knows the NFC East probably as much as Kevin Boiler does, and I I was born the same year as you, EM Perfect Family Seven. Uh, I did. I was born '88 too. I I can agree with you with the Cowboys thing, just because when we were growing up in the '90s, it was Eagles Cowboys. Like you you envied the Cowboys, you looked up to. The Cowboys and the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls and the whole Tom Hutton botch snap and you know just it was frustrating. But I felt like when I really, really, really was getting into football and I was playing football, it was definitely the Giants because they always did beat the Eagles and then the Eagles always beat them. Um, I think Andy Reid ended up winning. I want to say it was eight or nine in a row against the Giants after the Giants won eight nine in a row and the Eagles have passed them now in the all time series and. Eagles-Giants was a fun rivalry in the 2000s and early 2010s, and the Giants have just absolutely sucked the last five years. And, you know, we'll see how it goes this year. But, yeah, um, you know, Kevin was a great guest for us. Tone is always the man. Tone's going to be on Tuesday next week uh, because the Eagles are going to be um, playing on Monday night. 
Uh, I'm going to give you guys a warning. I'm going to be dead tired on Tuesday. Absolutely dead tired because, yeah, I'm going to be at the game. And I probably won't even leave the link till 3. So, you know, when you talk to the legends like John McMullen and all that and get your stories in, yeah, it's going to be a late night. So, but again, uh, I'm going to be fired up on Tuesday. I can't wait for these games this week. I think the NCAAs has a chance to show people it's a really good division, or it's better than what we all thought it was going to be. Let's just say that. Um, Chiefs Chargers tonight. I'm going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow. My two favorite quarterbacks play. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. I'm pretty close to Justin Herbert. I get to talk to him at least two or three times during an offseason, do interviews for CBS Sports, and I'll tell you what, Chargers are going to be a scary team this year because of their defense, and they got Justin Herbert on a rookie contract. It was nice actually seeing the Chargers finish a game because they have a pass rusher now in Khalil Mack to go with Joey Bosa, and they actually have a secondary that can cover and a team that can stop, stop the run, which they could not do last year. It's going to be – tonight's going to be awesome. I'm expecting fireworks tonight. I'm expecting Patrick Mahomes to be on. I'm expecting Andy Reid to treat this like it's the Super Bowl because the Chargers haven't lost in Kansas City since Justin Herbert's been there. And I know one of those games is the Week 17 Chiefs clinched everything game, but it's going to be a great game tonight. For those of you put on Amazon Prime, you're going to be treated to a show. I, I can't wait for it personally. But, yeah, uh, am I going to make a prediction? No, because uh, out of respect to both Patrick Holmes and Justin Herbert, I, I'm not picking the game, but I'm just going to enjoy it as a football fan. I hope you guys do too. All right, tomorrow. Um, I think I'm getting Tyler Sullivan back tomorrow. Not sure. Uh, we're going to figure this out as we go. But tomorrow's show on Good Morning MC East is going to be fun. Make sure to check in to Bird 365 with Joey Mack and John McMullen coming up next.